AB Testing Podcast with your hosts, Alan. God! Now I'm mad! <laughs> and Brent. I am mindless, agile robot. I must iterate. God! <laughs> this is the place to discuss software development, software quality and testing, agile, leadership, organizational change, and of course, modern testing. You can read more about modern testing on moderntesting.org and join our Slack group from the link on the same page. Now, on with the show. Hey, Brent. Hey, Alan. We are back for another episode. We are. There's no number. Oh, 91. 91. Hey, what do you think of that new intro that just played? Yeah, that was great. That's time travel because Brent's heard it, but he hasn't heard it in context. But you've all heard it now. Let us know what you think. Or not. Whatever. Yeah, is it too much reverb? Probably a little bit too much reverb on my voice. We can tweak that later. We can take a listener. We'll let the three decide what they think of the new intro. The nice thing about having three listeners yeah, is they, it's either unanimous or majority rules. Sure. On, on any voting decision. This is, this is great <laughs> insights from a math professional. Holy crap. Yeah, yeah. What have you been up to? So we have a, a big hackathon that's in place for support, uh, as, as I think I mentioned in the last podcast. That's kind of that's one of the places where my team is focusing on data science. We're doing all kinds of cool things with natural language processing. NLP. NLP. And I did a presentation uh, last Wednesday to a bunch of folks. And the very first question I asked is, okay, anyone here ever worked with a data scientist before? And there was about four people that raised their hand. And I looked at the four people and became very clear that I was the data scientist that they had worked with before. (laughs) And so I changed it to, and that data scientist wasn't me. And they dropped their hands and I said, okay, Great. Uh, the positive thing about this is none of you will know when I'm lying, uh, which got a brief little chuckle. Uh, and then I clarified. I'm like, okay, no, there's there's some data science slides in here, just making sure um, th- that uh, I have to communicate these these concepts uh, without using those terms. That's why I asked the question. But it was interesting. So I, I did a data science presentation to a bunch of people who didn't have data science, got a lot of people coming and talking to me after it, which uh, we've talked about imposter syndrome. This is the sound of me nodding my head. Yeah. That was, I went home that day on a high. I'm just like, so I didn't actually lie to anybody. I got my concepts across, and I got a lot of people engaged uh, after the conver- after the presentation. So for me, that was just a massive presentation win. Cool. For someone, oh, and the other thing too is all all sorts of people came up to me um, afterwards, and they were like, "Oh my God, that is one of the best presents I've I've seen." The majority of PMs can't do presentations that good, and I'm like. Yeah, I don't know what to deal with this feedback. My my presentation self esteem is too still too low for me to be able to accept it, but I appreciate it. What I found as we segue this conversation to talk about me is that people really appreciate practical, pragmatic advice. So I'm guessing your presentation had some of that. It did. L- see, how I turned that from me back to you. I was going to go to me, but I bounced. I'm going to make it shift back to you very quickly. Ah, damn it. But I do actually, here's a lesson I learned a long time ago. I'll just ask you a question. What is the number one goal of a presentation? It's entertainment. That is 100% correct. You are constrained by the content, but the presenter, your job is to make that content as entertaining as possible. That is the point of a presentation versus a document. No crap. Now I'm having like... Acid reflux? Oh, something's going on inside <laughs> because I'm thinking of the opposite of the presentations where people just read a bunch of slides to you because they've turned their presentation into a document that they read to you. Yeah. Um, I, I attended a class years ago. He calls those brick slides. 
Uh, and one of the things in his presentation is what he calls the squint test. So when you look at a slide and you squint at it, you should still be able to, to sort of have a glimpse at the message. So he's a big fan of, uh, I forget what they call them, but the shapes. So if you're, about, if you're about to message sort of a journey, there should be something that has like little blocks and, and arrows. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, uh, whereas, uh, you know, bullet point slides with massive amount of text, Yes. They look like bricks. Yes. When you do when you do the squint test. All right. Anyway, what's up with you, Alan? Oh, well, I was going to segue that back to me. Uh, I was at Star West. Uh, got back on Tuesday night. I was just down there to do a workshop. I went down early. Went to Disneyland. That was fun. Hung out. Worked all day from my hotel room Monday. Gave a presentation on web tools, which is just me. Leading people through a bunch of my favorite Chrome extensions, showing them how to use Wireshark and and Dev Tools and Chrome and Firefox and a oh little my. bit of security testing. <laughs> so it's a it's a fl it's a flash through a bunch of stuff. But I massively screwed up. I looked at the little piece of paper on my table wrong and let them out for their coffee break as the coffee was being put away. Uh, <laughs> they, they they weren't nearly as mad at me as they as they should have been. Okay, and then. Afterwards, a similar thing. I had a bunch of people come up to me and say, this is the best tutorial I've been to ever. Honestly, it's not. it was fine. I think a lot of times in testing, people forget that there are many, many new things to learn. So the goal, in addition to my entertaining stories, uh, ranting on UI automation, for example, mm -hmm. and the idea that technical testing means UI automation through a couple of indirections. I ranted on that for a while. Wait, wait. For the, our listeners. For our listeners. So the, <laughs> the segue I get is people go, testers need to be more technical. And by technical, they mean they need to write automation. And by automation, they mean they need to write UI automation, which I think is stupid. So we talk about a bunch of tools they yep. can use to make their lives easier. A little bit of scripting, but just a lot of different stuff. So pragmatic, practical things. The goal is, I tell them at the beginning, the goal is that everybody can go back and give... Uh, and and find three or four or five things they can use back at the job on Monday, and they usually feel like they can do that. The other thing I did is I'm giving this workshop one last time next week at PNSQC. This exact workshop? Ex well, I'm going to tweak it a little bit based on what I learned, but pretty much the same workshop. But also one thing I did at STAR, and I'll leave it in there for PNSQC, because I will never give this workshop again. I just slapped a Creative Commons license on it and said just, if you ever want to teach this yourself, if you want to, in fact, I told them, if you want to just do this at Star next year, I'll help you get a submission in because I'm I'm done doing this workshop. No, I just you beginning the explanation. So I've now it is it worked is a, with you. It is a 101 level course. I've now worked with you for for a long, long enough where I can pick up your body language, and you're like doing this workshop is an obligation. It is absolutely not something you're excited about. I don't like doing the same thing more than once. I, and I don't like workshops uh, in general because I kind of like to adapt. Even my, even my presentation style is adaptive. Uh, I would rather change things based on the context of what people want to do. A couple years ago, I gave another set of presentations at Star, Alan on testing. Those were fun because just me doing whatever. Of course, they wanted me to prepare slides. So I think I did Star East first and then Star West. It might have been the other way. But I prepared slides. And then what I did for that entire workshop was I went, I just took stickies. What do you guys want to know about? What do you want my opinions about? What do you want to learn about? And we put them on the board and we conbond them. We, we prioritized and conbond them out and went through them. And then uh, it was fun. A couple people, though, gave feedback and said, the presentation didn't match the slides. Yep. And I thought, W-T capital exclamation <laughs> point F. So the next, so what I did, this was interesting how well this worked out and how, how similar people and challenges are. I redid my slides based on what I presented at Star East in the pure ad hoc manner. Did the exact same exercise at Star West where I asked people what they wanted to hear about. I, we voted on what they wanted to talk about. 
and the slides not perfectly, but pretty well matched up anyway. So it was that was fun. So I like doing presentations like that where I can just uh, just a la carte, a la carte, m- much like a podcast. Yeah, the one thing I was actually thinking as you were talking, the, the another thing that you and I, I think, are, and I think we've even talked about it on the cast, there's so many different ways to separate people into one of two things. In this one, um, so often you hear people talking about starters versus closers. and I wouldn't say often, but yeah, I've heard it. Go no, on. All the time. It's all like the time. Daily. Yeah, I heard it on the radio today. Oh, never mind. I haven't listened to the radio in years. Anyway, go on. Um, and I think you and I are mostly starters. We, we, we both recognize we're not exclusively. We're specializing generalists or generalizing specialists, one of those things. And starters just are allergic to re- repetition. Yes. Oh, my God. And Agreed. one of the things, though, I've learned that's fantastic is when you make an investment, when, you, when you've captured 80% of the profit, it's essentially, in here, I mean in a generic sense, but it applies to real investments. But like what you said with the creative license, you've gotten out the value you care to get out of it. Mm-hmm. But there's still plenty of value in that content for someone else who wants it. Always, when you do a handoff, don't get greedy. Always... Give something for the next owner to to yeah. and yeah and to be clear and I want rewarded by we have a lot to talk about today believe it or not uh, I don't know if anybody there will take me up on it but Star did ask me if I would present this again at Star East and I said no I would rather not but if any of the three want to I'm happy to give you the slide deck give you the link walk you through what I do and um, I'll help you with a submission whatever I'll even if it's I'll probably just endorse you if you don't mind at Star. So if anybody wants to do it, just let me know. Ping us on the Slack channel. Yeah. Which you can get to if you go to moderntesting.org or angerweasel.com, whack AB testing. You can find a link to join our Slack team and hang out with the other two people. All that said, shall we get on um, with the show? Hey, we just finished topic number one, didn't we? We sure did. Yes. And we're going to do something a little bit weird. We're going to do our mailbag session early in the show today to make sure we get to it, I guess. Sure. All right. Mailbag. Do you want to read it? Do you want me to read it? I got it up. Is it too many big words? No. All right. I I can cover this. I will let you try it. All right. Go ahead. This is a question from Nicholas Shaw, and he asks, You've both been in the technical field for a number of years and seen a number of transitions, both industry-wide and personally, or, or in personally, sorry, looks like a comma. I wonder how you stay invigorated by the field and ensure you enjoy coming to work most days. I'd especially be curious if reinvention is the key to this. For example, Brent's recent foray into data science. I'll let you answer this first. Okay. All right. I don't know if it's uh, reinvention as much as it's adaptation. One of the things I love about what I've done in the field or my approach to the field and really what's kept me interested, this actually, we didn't plan on this, but you know from me that I hate repetition. I hate inefficiency. Uh, The thing that's kept me invigorated is that I've... I also, thing know you, that, I also know you hate idle. Yes. So the thing that's the thing that's kept me invigorated is that I've always been given, or at least in the last almost 20 years of my career, given a green field to play with. And knowing that big part of my job is to discover what work there needs to get done and then go work on that. And then always knowing that there are new things for me to discover. Uh, for example, I've done a crap ton of different things. At Microsoft, even though I was there for 22 years, I probably had 15 different jobs. Brent used to tease me about changing jobs every 18 months, which was 
which remained remarkably accurate, even though I denied it. (laughs) (laughs) But it was always for a new challenge, something new. The moment I got bored, and there were very few times I got bored on a job. Uh, I was very bored working on that science project to make uh, Android apps run on Windows Phone. But for the most part, I had exciting... By the way, I still get feedback from random people going, man, I do not understand why Microsoft can that. And I'm like... Think about it. I do to some degree. I understand. And turns out my podcast partner was on the team. Um, yeah. I. As a tangent, there was no way that could ever ship. And our PMs were just idiots, just freaking idiots. They thought they were adamant. Yeah, people, will, people that have built Android apps will just want to be in the window because Windows Phone is so awesome. Guess what? They all came from Windows Phone that they will just want to resubmit their Android app to the Windows Store with no testing at all, and they'll, and it'll be in the Windows Store. And it's like, think about this. Just think about it. Look at your market. Oh, my God. It was idiotic. And then and we had the Windows Phone developers, too. And while I'm on a tangent rant, uh, the number of times – this is Windows Phone, mind you. I'm in a meeting, and there's somebody making an idiotic decision. I go, why are we doing that? Hey, we did this on Windows Phone, and it worked fine. I just facepalmed the shit out of my head. Okay, so anyway, the thing that keeps me invigorated is there's always something new to learn. I have I've written features. I've fixed static analysis issues. I've implemented, I've done a ton of work fixing build systems. I've written test frameworks. I've written testing tools. I've written adapters. One of the coolest projects I did on Xbox One which was a lot of fun because you're building an OS kind of based on Windows or adapted from Windows. And this was a, gosh, this is a long story, but I'll make it short. Often in Windows, you would write programs to elevate the process. You want to grab a, a admin token or, or an administrative token and elevate the process. I had the opposite. We had these modern apps that would only run in session one as a guest account. So I had to take a system token running in session zero, I'll look up sessions, and de-elevate that token, do the opposite, so so our test could run properly. Because our test harness ran at the system level with full privilege, but we didn't want our tests to run there because users don't run there. So anyway, that was, uh, I I knew, I've forgotten most of it now, thank goodness, I knew a ton about the Win32 API just from all the uh, compatibility testing and API testing I did on earlier versions of Windows. But that was a fun, fun challenge. Had a lot of, uh, eventually it worked. And it's, I, as far as I know, it's still working for Xbox One. One of our Xbox One listeners can tell me if I'm wrong, but that was a fun project to do. So I like just figuring out what the holes are, what needs to get done. Uh, and it could be anything from technical things to project management, to testing, to development, to solving what I do more of in my, in probably the last five years is solving people problems which is fun. So what keeps me invigorated is that if I do my job right, every day has a new challenge and a new way to learn. And that's what keeps, and learning every day, that's what keeps me invigorated. I'm going to generalize it. So I can't pronounce the guy's name. We've talked about it before. Uh, I well, uh, Chevalet. Oh, the flow guy? Flow, yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. Shamalama Ding Usually we say Shamalama Ding Dong, right? With like three vowels in it. First off, I will share a little brief perspective about me or where I come from, but I will also share this is not a born in attribute of me. I have actually taken this and I've mentored folks and I know it is teachable. The the old phrase turn lemons into lemonade is 100% true in this case. So every time some big change occurs, it is absolutely true that humans will respond with a great sense of fear. But those who can push down the fear, as I mentioned uh, several episodes ago, the problem with fear is fear is not real. Fear is the fear is about what might be, not what is. Um, but it is such a strong human instinct 
uh, that it, it's just natural for people to freak out about that. But for those who don't and, and realize that every time there's a change, there's an opportunity. Uh, I kind of equivalent to what Alan is talking about. For the part of my career, every time I changed teams, what attracted me the most were the teams that I knew nothing about. Because for me, it is fun to say, it was fun for me to go and figure out how I could make my prior experience benefit this new thing that has nothing to do with, with anything I've ever done before. And every single time uh, I, took, I, I took on that challenge, I won that challenge, and I was able to create something new, which excites me, but also new to that team uh, because uh, most teams are very deeply focused in how they've always done things. Uh, so when you, get, when you get a fresh set of ideas coming in, it, it ends up being an accelerant. That's stuff I love. The important thing I would say here uh, in terms of like our discussion of, uh, of modern testing. So we have gone through multiple transitions. And Alex, or not Alex, Alex is my son's name, Alan, years ago, actually did a great deck on this. And one of the things that we realized is literally Every single time we went through one of these huge transitions, the most common feedback was, you know, I was afraid of it, but my role is significantly more rewarding than it was before. Every single true, time. True, true, true. Uh, and I think we went through three, four major transitions. One of the most common bits of career advice I give employees, people I mentor uh, is not constantly, but every once in a while at a frequent pace throughout your career, you should be in a place where you're scared. You're not going to, you're not sure what you need to do. And maybe you're worried you might get discovered as a fraud because when you're in that position, you're forced to learn and as you crawl out of that hole and begin learning and figuring things out, that is invigorating. It's exciting. You go, oh my! And, and it's a huge. It's a it's a stair step, not a grad, not a linear growth. It's a stair step growth in your personal and professional career. The the only caveat to that one is you want it to be a healthy fear. Or a, right, a right, healthy motivation. So, dangling. I, I, I do admit you could be so scared you're afraid to go to work, but uncomfortable is, I think, just just fine. Well, uh, uncomfortable actually is perfect, and that's what the the flow guy says. You want to accept me high. Say that again. His last name. Accept me high. I have. The inability to prove or disprove that. So we'll go with that. His first name is Mihai. That Mi one I can do. Mihai, chicks at Mihai. All right. Well done. Um, and I'm sure the three will correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's it. What you have to pay attention to is two things. One of the reasons why we're talking about MT a lot is so that, so as most of you are aware, Alan and I are, are we can't really say when. I'm still paying attention to a tipping point, but to to at least me, it does seem this is the direction the industry is coming. What we're doing is we're trying to get the word out so that when it hits you, if it does, but when it does, it's not a surprise. You have time. You have time to to train up. You have time to grow yourself so that you're you're very prepared. Alan and I were talking about this within Microsoft three years beforehand, and we very much saw how the wind was blowing. And um, I had multiple people. When it actually hit, I had multiple people come and say, damn it, I wish I'd listened to you. Right? And I have no doubt that there are people listening to the podcast that might post that 
uh, when that time comes. Yeah. Our goal, so fear plus surprise constructs an irrational response that is not productive. As long as it's sort of a healthy fear, um, great. Ideally, I mean, ideally, fear motivates people. My preference is that people figure out where they want to go and target that instead of what they're trying to avoid. But this ties into the theory, and we can move on from the mailbag after this, I think, but uh, the Heffitz book I mentioned all the freaking time, Leadership on the Line, has the quote that I use way too often, but it's worth it. Uh, Leadership is disappointing people at a level they can absorb. And... Uh, there's a diagram or a, or a discussion. I can't remember what from the book that talks about uh, an organization, not just the person, but we can talk about it in the organization level. If an organization or a person, I'll add, is complacent, your productivity, actually your interest is down, therefore your productivity is down. If an organization or a person uh, is too uncomfortable, they're at that boiling point, they're freaked out, they're frozen they're not getting anything done either. Works true for the person or the organization. What you want to do as a leader and what you want to drive yourself to do is live at that simmering point where you're slightly uncomfortable, but you have an idea what you're doing. That is where productivity happens at an organization, and that is where growth happens as an individual. And then if you add in some sort of program that boosts employee engagement... From a positive angle, because uh, uh, happy, uncomfortable employees are absolutely the most productive. Yeah, for surezies. Yep. I can't believe I just said that. So thank you. Thank you very much for your question. If you have questions, you can email them to alan at angryweasel.com or join our Slack channel and ask there. But thank you very much. We appreciate those. A little bit of a transition here. You mentioned that we're getting the word out about modern testing. And one thing I want to call out is uh, for those of you not in our Slack group, for the those of you maybe the fourth listener, if there ever was one, I can't imagine that happening. Dear God. I'm, I'm a little freaked out and blown away at how many of the three are sharing modern testing principles with their teams at meetups and how much the... MT Army, should we call them that? Or, or maybe no. Okay, the MT Clan. No, the no. Clan's not right either. We'll figure out. Hey, three. Okay, the three. I'm I'm happily no, surprised. Wait, wait. I want to. I do not want to associate MT with any sort of thing that is based on an irrational belief, because I think that's one of the biggest problems. Yep, in I, the past. I, I'm a, I, I'm just. You know, words come out, and then I go, ah, not the right word. Yeah. So anyway, uh, how much people are sharing and, and giving us the feedback and sharing what they've learned? We just added this morning, we, meaning Salty Gunner, uh, just added a Lessons Learned channel to our Slack team oh. to talk about lessons they've learned from rolling out these principles. I'm just blown away, happily blown away. People are looking at these and sharing them. People have posted to the group and posted to me privately things they're doing, what's working out, the feedback on their team. There have been people that have shown my test bash video to their team uh, and, and had discussions based on that. Uh, Amazing. Just I'm wow. So that said, I was invited to be part of a, of a webinar yesterday as part of the test masters Academy webinar series. And I think the, I think the topic was something, uh, I forget the exact title, but it, it was talking about modern testing. Okay. And modern testing roundtable. Big I, M or little M? Well, in the title, it was a big M. In reality, when I joined the call, it was a little teeny itsy bitsy M. Did you notice, did you notice Lisa's tweet yesterday? No. She talked about modern testing, little M, little T, and double quoted. All right. I'm like, hmm. Huh. Hmm. Yeah, huh. exactly. Hmm. So this was an interesting roundtable or panel discussion because uh, 
I thought it may be about modern testing, capital M. And it was about what people, I mean, it was about testing and random future testing stuff. So I was definitely shaking things up. We had four <laughs> of us on the panel. Uh, one person was your, your very typical test manager. Um, at the point, and I won't go in order here, but the point where I mentioned some of my teams no longer use a bug tracking database, he just about crapped his pants and said, that just will not fly. You have to have that. It's necessary. Another person, test architect sort of role, I think that might have been her title, uh, was all about, this was Microsoft 1999, 2000. We need to architect automation frameworks and all the testers need to write automation all the time. And then one person, uh, even more traditional and oddly, uh, been test been in testing since 2003 and was very, and again, nothing, how shall I put this? Because I'm not ranking on waterfall, but that's what modern that, testing. That's my job. They, well, put it this way. That's what modern testing was. And I said, modern testing is an antidote to, uh, the discussions around traditional software testing that were popular in the in the 90s and before, where mo- the testing was done at the Did end of the product that? cycle. Yes, where the testing was done at the end of the product cycle, te- quality was tested in, and we talk about modern testing as a way to combat that. She had me go, f- the moderator had me go first. Awesome. And then as I'm talking, I'm watching the other presenters kind of go, uh, and I never saw so much head shaking while I was talking in my life <laughs> <laughs> throughout, the whole, throughout the whole webinar. <laughs> it was... And Ugh. very much embrace. So, well, I have a product that requires waterfall, and it's not waterfall is not a bad thing, and blah blah. blah. And and um, it's a great own it, own it, own it. That's fine. But both of those statements are false. I'm going to assert it, and I don't know anything about the. <laughs> you do not require waterfall, and it is a bad thing. I chose my battles, but I was. Firm to the principles of modern. Did testing. you meet in a room, or was it like a no virtual four-way, virtual? Oh. Okay. Four-way virtual. Oh. Uh, and it was... Thank good. And it was fun. <laughs> I would love to do... I could do one of those every single day. I don't like giving that many presentations, but if someone has put me on a panel of people that are from a more traditional background, and the, mo- the, most, the most closest, the closest to modern from the group, there was one of the test managers uh, said they did Agile, but it was all focused on iteration, iteration, iteration and nothing about actually learning and adaptation. So, but it was fun. One of the things that maybe the final question, I'll, I won't go through them all. I don't think there's a recording and I'm glad I did it. It wasn't what I expected, but I'm glad I Seems did it. Like and I had, had fun. fun. Oh my God. It was fun because <laughs> after a while, after watching all the head shakes and the disagreement and it was just kind of fun to just talk about the, what I see. And the last question I was asked is what is the, we're all test managers or leaders here, what is the feature of the modern testing manager? <laughs> and, and I go, please, please let me go first. Please let me go first. Please let me go first. He goes, Alan, what do you think? I said, my role is to work myself out of a job. I have, I joined my current company with uh 45 or whatever people working for me throughout my organization. I'm down to about 12. And I say within the next three, six months at the most, I will no longer have QA reporting to me because I think it's an inefficient way to run a modern organization. I added some more stuff in there. It's like, <laughs> and the waterfall guy said, Oh, he said, I agree with you. What all should, and it had a good answer. He said, I agree with you. We all should be working to work ourselves out of a job. Uh, but, I don't know if he believes it in the way I believe it. Now, so so, and I want to talk a little bit more about that. Yes, questions because I was thinking about this since I said that. So I, again, another reason I love this made me think about why am I doing that and what makes me feel like that's an okay thing to do. And one thing I've done, and I may have mentioned this on here before, and I do have uh, for a transition, I have one other comment from the presentation or the roundtable to talk about, but I realized that. As I coach, I coach my team on leadership and how to influence the developers they work with to embrace quality, to write tests, to embrace the quality culture. Uh, At the same time, I meet, along with them in a lot of cases, I meet regularly with most or all of the dev leads that I work with regularly. 
And I realized in retrospective that I treat them the way a traditional test manager may treat a test lead. So okay. my the dev leads I work with are my virtual test leads. Okay. When I talk to them, I find out what's going on on the team. Uh, we'll talk about how things are going, what do they feel. You know, It's like a one-on-one. But then I'll also have questions about quality. And what's your approach to quality here? What do you think you can do better? What, what are some things you think you can do better? Um, I'm treating them like they are a test lead in some ways. And now that's in my head, I'm thinking I want to do more of that. I want to have fewer QA people report to me and more dev leads that I meet with to coach on being on to coach on them leading testing and quality. Yeah. So you, anyway, you need you need to teach them the value of them asking those yes. same questions. Yeah, and and they've now. learned that. That's and how I, you and go viral. And it's uh, it's interesting because I start to see that happen, and I and it was all. It wasn't until this reflection from this roundtable yesterday I realized, oh, that is what I'm doing, and I see why where it's working where it's working. So I want to do more of that. Anyway, you were going to say something earlier. I cut you off. Please jump in. Glad you did that. I I wonder if you if you won anyone over. I don't. Th- there was a, I mean, it's a, a webinar, a, so a relative tiny audience. So. Uh, I don't know if I won them over. The, the, the to be his credit, the waterfall guy he sent me a note afterwards saying it was great to and, and I says great to hear your opinions. Um, nice nice meeting you today. Uh, so he was he was very cordial about it, even though we were even though we were on different sides of the what testing is. Yeah. The, oh. <laughs> sorry. Well, sorry. I gotta add one more thing. Go ahead. They, they have, another question was, what skills should someone getting into testing today learn? I said a lot of stuff besides testing. <laughs> and I was serious, but oh my God, the looks. Yeah. Anyway, go on. Yeah. Uh, no. I, I had to look at that webinar. <laughs> right. You're having too much fun rethinking it right now. And, and of course, the problem, the problem is if you're not careful, then you can come across as all you're trying to do is – is screw with the other panelists. Right. And I, and right? I don't think I, I, and that's not that, our that, goal. That wasn't my goal. My goal, I answered the questions as honestly as I could. I wasn't screwing with them. Right. And I let them have their piece. I didn't argue with them on everything I disagreed with. Yeah. 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 Um, we have a different perspective. Um, and it's one that uh, I've repeatedly vetted out. Uh, you're going in, in a, in a direction I have never gone, but I think you'll succeed in that. I've never been a director of QA trying to get rid of my whole team, right? And still make, but that's not your ultimate goal. It's essentially how do I make this business function better yeah, my, and yeah. then recognizing I'm fo- the way you need to do right. that will my, result in your team disappearing. Exactly. The goal isn't to get rid of the team. It's the not the goal, goal. The goal is to, what's the first principle of modern testing? Business first. My goal is to improve the business. Right. I'm improving the business and uh, sort of making principle number seven happen because it's the right thing to do for the business. Absolutely. I didn't even pre-think that, but holy crap, that's cool. We're expressing... Even with Agile testing out and Agile out, right? Um, I still accuse the Agile manifesto of this. But essentially, with as long as it's been out, there's still far too many people that are polarized. There is absolutely no valid place for waterfall. It never should have existed Re- even I even in the paper, it says don't do this. Okay. I I used to highlight that. Yeah, yeah. And granted, most people doing waterfall are usually doing something closer to spiral model, but still. But a lot of folks have 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 come up with a definition of success based off years of experience, and it's still very true, right? When you have years of experience of of solving problems using a particular tool set. Right, you tend to, you kind of generally tend to look at all problems with that tool set, and then at some point in time, you know, you you're, you're just busily trying to solve problems, 
And oftentimes you don't actually have the time to sit back and say, is there a better way? And um, the waterfall approach today, in my view, they're sort of taking an evolutionary approach. And I do think the time is ripe for taking a revolutionary approach and rethink the whole system. And that's what I think modern testing is about. One other question, and we're not going to get super deep into this, but this is going to kick off a nice discussion for the next uh, podcast. Yes. Is another, it wasn't a question. Oh, I use this line, which I know I've used on the podcast before, probably when talking about um, the principle around uh, our job is nurturing the quality culture. I think that's four. I could be wrong. Gosh, why did we number them? <laughs> uh, yeah, we even had the you know the the Ministry of Testing even created this fantastic wonderful poster cheat, cheat sheet. Yeah, yeah. Right. We should just. Uh, oh, by the way, you know uh, Ministry of Testing. You got three of all heard of them. You know they have the boss boss Richard Bradshaw. They also have different bosses, different features. Yeah, they, they have an editor boss, uh, Melissa Eden. I just hired her for the Unity office. She's going to work at Unity Austin and make awesome things happen. You couldn't talk about it last time. I couldn't, but she announced it on can. Twitter. Oh my! It's this is like this is like I'm building the dream team. This is good. So anyway, back on topic. Oh, the point I Mel. made. The point I made. I said something very close to this. I'm sure all the other panelists will agree that it's not testing's job to own quality. My, one of my few head nods. Said, but I do think people on my team are responsible and accountable for building the quality culture. That was my quote. And then to tie this into a conversation before, as my team slowly moves into reporting to dev, they're not going away. I'll still meet with them. I'll just swapping the dotted lines and dashed lines. I will begin to hold those dev leads, my my virtual test leads, accountable for growing that quality culture. And Someone might say, how do you hold them accountable if they don't work for you? And I can hold them accountable. I know how to do leadership. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. The answer is leadership. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, one of the panelists, a waterfall panelist, I'll call him, not call him out by name, said, well, you can talk about that, but the quality culture is uh, abstract. And I said, well, if you just call it quality culture, but I think you can define attributes of a quality culture and these may be different contextually for every team but i don't know i think you can define them and in fact and I, i'm sure i've read these before on the podcast but i think we'll maybe do some deeper dives into these <laughs> beginning beginning like, next I think time i can define them knowing full well yeah, you well, have already <laughs> i was in, i was in a conversation with uh my peer managers at well yeah some other uh, quality managers at uh, Unity. And I brought up the same statement. I do believe I hold my team accountable for building the quality culture. It's been in the principles for a while. I fully believe that. And it wasn't so blatant as asking, well, it's abstract. What do you mean by that? It was like, well, what does that mean? How do we, how do we grow that? Me, looking for some work to do, said, let me see if I can define that. I sat and stared at my computer and said, oh, crap, I don't know how to define that. And, but then I thought, I, I do, at this stage in my career, I do so much of my job just in my head, walking around, thinking. And I have to remind myself, just because I'm not typing into keyboard, if I'm thinking, and maybe I'm actually working, <laughs> but I just reflected and thought for days. And then some things started forming in my head, and I wrote up, and you, Brett, you've seen a copy. When I sat down to write up uh, what turned out to be a little bit of a capability model or a maturity model, if you will, ugh, uh, it spit out in an hour. And we've used it a lot at Unity. We've begun to use it as a way to identify how a team is going to grow their quality culture. And so far, it's worked uh, remarkably well. Made a few edits, a few tweaks, but it's... It's being used by a lot of teams and working very, very well. So I think we'll dive into what the full maturity level is. But I do want to walk through what the different capabilities are, what the different things 
I think a team with a high quality culture should exhibit. Uh, and those are in order, and we'll take a little bit of time to comment on each one, but we'll dive in deeper later. The first one is testing breadth. And this is about, there's a lot of teams that think, well, my unit test passed at 100%. We must be ready to ship. Just recognizing that there are different kinds of testing the team needs to do, things to think about. The agile testing quadrants fit really well in here as a model. Mm-hmm. Uh, but thinking about not just not just functional testing, but thinking up front, are there security implications here? Should we do a threat model? Uh, what sort of reliability or stress testing would we do? How is this going to integrate with other components? Thinking about those things up front versus just writing a bunch of functional tests. I think teams with a high, with uh, a team, an organization with a high quality culture will consider those things strategically and comprehensively throughout their product cycle. I, I think any anything worthwhile classified under something called a maturity model, regardless if it's abstract or not, is going to evaluate the system at play and essentially try to advance people through the maturity model in in the highest ROI. be clear, I hate maturity models. I hated... Part of me hated writing this because I knew it would be... I guess the the problem is maturity models are... The problems I've seen is, one, they're treated as a scorecard, which I freaking hate. Then rename yours. I tried to call it a capability model, but everybody keeps on calling it a maturity model. Don't call it a model. Maturity... Actually, you know what we call it? Guidelines. You know what's caught on with my peers? We call it the thing, (laughs) for lack of a better name. Awesome. So uh, another one is quality and test ownership. Who owns quality? If a team with a low level of thinginess, maturity, capabilities, a test team would own all the quality on the team. They be they test quality in. Whereas a team that's very mature, <clears throat> like principle number seven, may not have the need for a Actually, quality I don't and even testing think that's specialist. The lowest. The lowest is you've hired a test team who doesn't actually own it. They right. just serve yep. the role of being the ones to blame. Which is as you know, the way there's still a reasonable amount of testing out there like that. Yep. And I heard about it yesterday. How the team deals with technical debt and maintenance. Mm-hmm. Not just bug backlog, but technical debt in general. Is it pile up? Yeah. We'll put, we'll talk about this more. But well, for me, that one, that one right there, in terms of my own transition, when uh, the the three have heard this story over and over again. I left test, went to dev as uh, in Bing. And that one, if there was one single decision that just friggin' solidified me on this is getting rid of the bug database. Yeah. That one thing. It, you get rid of the bug database, yeah, it's going to freak out waterfall guy. Right, because it's essentially well. How do we keep up? No, the only way you can keep up is to stay clean all of the time. Yes, you. Yes. That that is the only way. So, and the thing I talk about with my team is now everybody's like fully on board, on their way to getting to zero bug backlog. Um, but the thing they're thinking about now in our additional conversations is what other debt do we have? What's our other debt? And thinking about that because there's other kinds of debt than bugs. Uh, oh. Code quality and tooling. Can I tell you? <laughs> There's uh, code quality. Oh, you're not going to go I want to tell on? you. Okay, tell me. So the next thing is once you get rid of the technical debt, then what you need to do is evaluate your ability to scale. Build a KPI that you trust, and it's context sensitive. I, I can't give you any firmer guidance than this. Build a KPI that you trust that indicates whether or not your current system can scale to the predicted load three months from now. Yeah. Okay. And that's all you care about. You want to know the second it goes under three months, you go, okay, we got we to gotta make a change. We got three months because we can't scale now. Code quality and tooling, and this is mostly about, again, these are contextualized for the things that I want to see happen, but this is... What's happening in CI? What's happening in the check-in gates? 
Is it, uh, do we have analysis tools running in and which again, create debt, these things like principles overlap. And you'll see that these attributes overlap with modern testing principles as well. The development approach. We've all seen bad Kanban and bad scrum. Enough Fragile. said. En- en- enough said. Yeah. Uh, so what's there's a level of maturity there. I am fascinated at the number of distinct variants of the said two. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> there's a. Uh, I I forgot to periscope this one. Like I said, I would. Maybe another one. But uh, there was a facepalm right there. Uh, learning and improvement, and this is for respective time. Uh, think of a team doing really good retrospectives and acting on them as being a high level of maturity and teams that just kind of go through the motions and don't ever learn. Build, measure, learn, not build, measure. (laughs) Or just build. Build, 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 build. That's iteration, right? Well, and sometimes the worst would be you have three separate teams. Oh, we build, measure, learn. That's the build team. That's the measure team. There's the learn team. There's a meta point around the quality culture and which involves leadership support. And does leadership give a there's a weird growth where leadership doesn't care. It's like whatever, do what you want. There's a there's a stage where they care too much and they're driving quality through scorecards and and trying to micromanage a bunch of these things. Then there's a level where the quality culture is part of what the team does and they stay out of the way. Yep. So it's an interesting curve of how leadership support is needed. You need leadership to supply a rallying cry and to emphasize that it's important. And then, like my one of my favorite authors, Steve Denning, says, you give the team a framework to work in and then get out of their way. And quality and quality culture is a very good example. You of cannot that. escape without that framework. Yeah. Right. That's actually the fundamental difference between the first stage and the last stage. Yeah. All right, so maybe in the next podcast, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about some or all of those, a um, little deeper dive. I think we should go deeper. Yeah, oh, for sure, but not today. Yeah. We're out of time. Agreed. All right. Thanks again for listening to the A-B Testing Podcast. I am still Alan. I'm Brent. All right, bye. Walking